obviously no one wants to talk about getting sick or passing away, but sometimes you just have to feel that emotion and do it anyway. So even if you're feeling a bit of rush through that and get around a table and at least begin the conversation. You're listening to Investing for Good, a show that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design and impact the world around them. And now here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey, Julie, how are you? Hey, Annie, I'm doing well. How about yourself? Oh, you know, just trying not to go stir crazy over here in the house, you know, trying to take different routes around the neighborhood as we're biking and walking. That's you know? so funny. We did the same thing yesterday. Our, uh, we went into a different part of our neighborhood. We crossed a big street. We never go over there. It was like, oh, it's a whole new world. I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. You know, because we've been walking the same route right. every day right. in our neighborhood for the last, like, mm-hmm. month and a half. Um, and so it was just, like, so nice to see that. But, yeah, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about lately with all of this, you know, coronavirus talk and people losing their loved ones and things like that, it's been something that... Um, has been kind of weighing on my mind, you know, wondering what my family will do if they lost me or if they lost me and my husband and who's going to take care of my children and, mm-hmm. you know, all of these kinds of things. And um, it, it was, it's just got me really thinking about all of that. And uh, I'm sure for, for you as well. Yeah, you know, it's been, gosh, it's been about five years since my dad passed away. And he didn't do any sort of estate planning. He didn't really leave behind a will, a trust, nothing. And so I really learned sort of the hard way. You know, I was left with the pieces after and had to try to figure out what to do and what he would have wanted. And so that's why I think the conversation with today's guest, Leslie Quincy, is especially important. She's the author of the book Legacy, A Guide to Successfully Transferring Wealth from One Generation to the Next. And she had sort of a similar story. Her dad is okay, thankfully, but he had a health scare, which prompted her and her family to really start to talk about not just estate planning, but also succession planning for their family business, which is something I think that a lot of people don't think about. Um, And so in this conversation, we dive into all of that, which is so pertinent, especially right now with the COVID-19 pandemic. It's a great time to start having some of those difficult conversations, even though they may be awkward at first, but, you know, it can be very, very relevant and very important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, you know, sometimes you know, having these conversations with your family is not always easy. And so I asked her, you know, in this episode, I asked her about how can you have these difficult conversations in a way to make it a productive meeting. And one of the things that really stuck with me was that she had said to 
find touch points that are meaningful to the others in your family, because that will help them inspire discussion around these topics. Because now you're talking about something that's really important to them and could be anything, you know, that that's important. You just have to know what that is and start talking about that. But I think, as you mentioned, you know, having those conversations is really the important uh, takeaway that I got from this. She offered so much valuable insight into how she handled it, uh, tips and tricks that she, uh, you know, mentions in her book and um, is so relevant right now. So it was a good one. So to all our listeners who've been shying away from those difficult conversations, now is the time. Enjoy this episode with Leslie Quincy. Leslie, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. And and thanks again for having me here today. I'm looking forward to to this uh, conversation and sharing some good information, hopefully. Yes. Well, we are looking forward to it too. Now, I want to start here because Leslie, I'm sure you know that there are two things that people absolutely hate talking about. One of those things is death. Mm -hmm. And the other is finances. And in your book, (laughs) Legacy, you talk about not just one, but both of those things. And Mm -hmm. through the lens of estate planning, as well as succession planning, which is so important, but also something that so many people leave until it's too late. So Mm -hmm. to start us off, tell us you know, because this is an area that most people, you know, don't ever want to touch with a 10 foot pole, Mm -hmm. you know, tell us how you got interested in all of this. Take us back to, I know in the book, you talk about um, the story of your dad's health scare and how Mm -hmm. that launched you into digging further into your own family estate and succession plan. So maybe let's start there. Sure. So, you know, if I can, like you said, I'll back it up a little bit and just share a little bit about the journey I've gone through over the years um, and how it's kind of brought me to where I am today. And it's funny because the other day I was at a networking event and I was speaking with someone who asked me, you know, she currently is working like as an employee for a company, but she's looking to create all this wealth. Um, and do that by, you know, creating her own business on the side, as well as investing in real estate and a few other things. Um, and so the one thing she said was, it's very hard when people ask her what she does, because she feels like she's got this trifecta of things that she does. And it confuses people because they think, so are you like, are you an employee? Are you an investor? <laughs> Who are you? She asked me, you know, how do I answer that question? Because she knows I've got some real estate, I've got a business um, and all these things. And I told her the one thing I've realized is, yes, it can be confusing when people are you because you don't know how to define yourself uh, well. But what I said is, you know, if you're familiar with Robert Kiyosaki's cash flow quadrant, I, you know, I was telling her, I consider myself today as someone who operates in the I quadrant as an investor, because I do have a company with my family that owns business, that owns real estate, uh, that owns some private mortgages and a few other paper assets. And, And the goal is really to take that Um, and be able to build it and create wealth that we can then pass along through generations. Um, So going back to your point in terms of why did estate and succession planning suddenly become important to me and my family? So I grew up in a family business. um, And so I was fortunate to have seen my parents come here from another country, work hard, save, invest. But more importantly, they invested in, in themselves. So they took the time to go out there, invest in knowledge. They went out and learned all about 
finances, all about investing. You know, my brother and I grew up listening to these audio cassette programs of Bob Proctor and and Tony Robbins and Tom Hopkins, like the works. So it's one of those where you kind of over time, it's this, you know, you're a kid, but you're inundated with these messages. So for my brother and I, we were kind of like, I think we're probably going to end up living some sort of entrepreneurial life. And so we watched our parents go through this learning phase and eventually they began investing themselves. So they started investing in real estate. And again, you know, we, I was maybe eight or nine. So as a kid, you don't necessarily get what's happening. I mean, I knew they dragged us out to these houses. We would have to help clean and paint. Um, and my brother and I were kind of like, why are we doing this? We don't even like cleaning at home, let alone going to someone else's house and cleaning up their mess. So it was seemed like just a backwards thing to be doing and we hated it, but you know what? They'd give us pizza dinner afterwards or take us to the movie. So we thought, you know what, if this is part of our life, I guess we have to do it. But as you get older, you begin to realize that all these things my parents were doing, they were building wealth for our family. Um, And for us, real estate has been a really big foundation or cornerstone of our wealth over the years. Mm -hmm. So in addition to the real estate, we were lucky that my dad, after retiring for many years of working at the same company, jumped right into entrepreneurship. And he started a business, which is our family business. It's called AMAG, which stands for Advanced Measurement and Analysis Group. And it's a flow measurement company that serviced the nuclear industry. So I was able to watch him build that from scratch. And when I came out of university, I went, uh, I worked for two years in the financial services industry, but it wasn't long before my dad pulled me into the family business. And you know, for him, it was sort of like this thing that he's created out of love, like a gift of here's something that we can work together as a family on and build and grow and hopefully pass it on for generations to come, which I think is common for many founders. They want to build this business and they want to know that this business that they've created will go to their children and hopefully their children's children. And so this was kind of my life for a long time. It was sort of working to support the family business. My husband, when I got married, also joined the business. So with him and my dad, we kind of continued to grow it. Uh, My younger brother chose not to be in the business, but he's also an entrepreneur though. He has his own business uh, that he runs full-time. So over the years we did this and I found myself as much as I appreciated it and recognized the value in all the learning that I've done and, and being able to experience entrepreneurship firsthand, I still had a longing to sort of spread my wings and be able to build something on my own so that I didn't feel like I was always riding on my dad's coattails. When I expressed this desire to spread my wings, we had a bit of back and forth because my dad couldn't really fully understand why would I want to leave this great thing that I had already, but he let me go. And so off I went and I, you know, I began pursuing some real estate investment opportunities and moving on into commercial investing and stuff like that. And things were going well. I was in this phase of growth and um, building something new and I was so excited about it. Hmm. Um, And then my dad had a heart attack. Hmm. And obviously when I left the business, he was in great health. So as a family, we never really thought, oh, we should talk about the day you might pass away (laughs) or Mm -hmm. get sick. Mm -hmm. It's not really something that you think you need to talk about. And I think that's common with many people because when I chose to write the book, I actually spoke with many different entrepreneurs and investors and sort of asked them, how much planning have you done? And and not surprisingly, most of them hadn't really gotten to that point yet. Mm -hmm. And the reason that they explained to me was that it just didn't seem like a priority or it just doesn't Mm -hmm. seem like a priority now. Mm -hmm. Um, And it never does until something Mm -hmm. happens. Um, So it was really my dad's heart attack that caused me to, you know, first of all, you go through this emotional thing of like fear and worry. When you see someone that you care about suddenly get sick and you're not sure Mm -hmm. what's going to happen, it's mortifying. And so I was worried about things like, is he going to recover? You know, is my mom going to be okay? What about her health if he needs help? So it's all these things around their health and wellness. And it was a little bit later on that I started realizing, oh my goodness, do they have updated wills? You know, what about signing authorities on 
the properties they have with the joint venture partners, you know, who has access to these things if my dad's unable to manage them? Mm-hmm. Uh, what about the business? What's the plan for that? And so, you know, we were fortunate and then I had worked in it for 20 years before I left. So when I came back, it wasn't weird for our staff. It was, it was kind of a, I think they would have expected that I would have come back in, but had I not been active in the business and my brother's not active at all, it would have been a really weird the business would have been in limbo for a little bit while we would put together a plan to make it work. And so that's when I realized, you know what, if you take the time to start talking about these things as a family earlier on, Mm -hmm. it can make a big difference in how you kind of pass that baton. Mm -hmm. And so for my family, obviously once that, you know, we went through this experience and it caused us to really stop and sit down and realize the importance of communicating with one another, Mm -hmm. of talking about what's the game plan going forward. Um, Mm -hmm. So I have a, my my son's 17, he's turning 18 and and my brother's got two younger ones, two boys. And now we're at that stage where we're talking about what about them? What about the future for them? Mm -hmm. Because we recognize that assuming you're going to pass a business on isn't necessarily the smartest way to go. I think what you really need to do is focus on how you're going to transition the wealth and not just a specific business. So, you know, for instance, if, if a the kids aren't interested in taking it on, is that business position to be sold in the future so that the wealth can then transition to the next generation and they can grow it in, in you know, whatever method or whatever way is most meaningful to them because maybe they, they won't have an interest in this type of thing. So mm-hmm. that's kind of where we're at as a family now. And it's ongoing. I mean, you know, we've done some paperwork, we've updated wills and all that sort of stuff, but the conversation is sort of ongoing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I find that's kind of where I'm at now. And that's really what caused us as a family to realize if you don't take care of things earlier on and something happens unexpectedly, um, Mm -hmm. and even if you don't pass away, if you get sick or you're incapacitated and you can't oversee your portfolio, it can be really confusing and messy for your family. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's sort of important if you want to make sure that you transition the wealth smoothly and, and you don't lose things along the way, it's important to have those conversations today. And I think that's what I was really trying to share in my book. So I hope that answered. I know it's a bit of a long and uh, rambling, winding road to get there, but that's sort of why why I wrote it. I'm curious, do you have any suggestions for people out there who might struggle with communicating about these topics? And, you know, what would be your advice? Because I certainly have encountered that um, with not my my family, but my husband's family. And, you know, this is all very real for me. And, um, you know, not anything necessarily that I went through, um, but just something on my on my side of the family that we're very proactive about. And we, you know, my mom has talked about it for a long time. Like, here's Mm -hmm. what's going to happen when this happens and that happens. And I have all of this long-term care insurance, et cetera, et cetera. And so I come from a place of where we plan for that kind of stuff. And I've had to have conversations with my in-laws about that because now is the time because they are healthy. But because they are healthy, they think that this would never happen to them. And that, you know, like, for example, long-term care insurance is a waste of money or don't worry about us, we'll be fine. So how, what it would be your advice to people out there? Because I'm sure I'm not the only one, you know, where it's like that breakdown of communication. Do you have any advice about how to handle that? Right. Um, and you're absolutely right. I've had other people come to me and, and, and say something very similar. You know, they would tell me, you know, it's so, so wonderful that your family's so close and it's great that you can communicate right. so well and all these things. Yeah. And, um, but, and, and in their cases, 
but some of them, they're not close with their family members. So mm-hmm. the whole conversation becomes hard because nobody wants to even get in a room together. Right. So, you know, I mean, obviously, like you said, communicate often and early is the best way to go, but mm-hmm. to get people to the table, I guess it's really a matter of kind of explaining to them And this is why I wrote the book, because I thought if I shared my story and showed the impact of how it could go wrong, Mm -hmm. I think it's if you have examples like that, where you can kind of share the reason you're doing this is more out of a desire to make sure that everything that they've worked so hard to build up will stand the test of time. And the other thing is to point out to them that this is their chance to have their voice heard. Because, you know, I I was attending a a course a little while ago, and there was this big emphasis on your voice matters. And I think with estate and succession planning, um, it's one of those topics where your voice has to matter. And so Mm -hmm. I think when you allow people to let them know, this is your chance Mm -hmm. to guide the direction of how you want things to be. This is, you know, about you being able to leave a mark or Mm -hmm. leave a legacy. And I think part of the reason as well that I wrote the book was really to shift the perception and change the way we think about this type of topic. And instead of having it as something that's depressing or, or, you know, boring or something that can wait until later, just change the conversation and make it about something inspiring, making it about how you can make a bigger difference in the world, how you can benefit your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren down the road. And again, you know, it's one of those things where I'm sure you guys are familiar. You can't change other people. Um, All you can really change is how you interact with them and maybe find ways to communicate with them in a way that is most meaningful. So it's really finding those touch points that are meaningful to them and seeing if Mm -hmm. you can use that as a way to begin drawing them out so that you can have these conversations. The other thing I tell people is it's often avoided because it can get emotional. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes it's difficult topics and, and, you know, obviously no one wants to talk about getting sick or passing away, but sometimes you just have to feel that emotion and do it anyway. So even Mm -hmm. if you're feeling a bit of resistance, push through that and get around a table and at least begin the conversation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't know that that really, it it won't help you necessarily force someone to talk about it, but but Mm -hmm. it might help get them to at least open up. And and once you get them opened up a little bit, you can crack the door open slowly um, Mm -hmm. at whatever pace they're comfortable with. So I hope, Mm -hmm. you know, I hope that might help. Yeah. I mean, I think it definitely does. I think the finding touch points that are meaningful for them, because I think that's a good way to, you know, communicate with people in general. If someone's not open to hearing something is like figuring out what's important for them and then trying to like weave it in through, through that way is, Mm -hmm. um, is good advice. We'll get back to our conversation with Leslie in just a minute. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid like we were that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations, and as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. 
We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day. Because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com invest. And now... Back to our chat with Leslie Quincy. So I want to take it back a step. So for all our listeners who might be completely new to all of this, what is estate planning at a basic level? You know, are we talking about wills or trusts or what's the difference between a will and a trust? Are there other documents or is it documents or is it, you know, is it something that you lock in a vault? You know, what what is estate planning? <laughs> um, so for me, when I... Often when I bring up the topic, the first thing people ask is, you know, oh my goodness, does your book have all these legal and accounting structures we can follow? And I always emphasize to them, obviously not, because I'm not an accountant, nor am I a lawyer or, you know, a financial planner. So that's not my area of expertise. I share from the perspective of a second generation business owner as someone who's gone through the issues that you face when you don't have your estate and succession plan in place. So, you know, I see it as, Estate planning is your way to document and identify how you want everything that you've built up over the years uh, to be dealt with when you're not here or in the event that something happens to you. And a succession plan on that end, I know not everyone has a business, um, but if you have a business, a succession plan is really your written document that outlines what's to happen with the business should something happen to you. So that includes things like not only ownership. So often people say, oh, I'm not going to worry about that. I'm just going to leave it to my kids. And that's fine and dandy, you know, although, first of all, have you told your kids that? Are they involved in the business? Do they even know what needs to be taken care of if you're not there? And is it something they even want to do? So I think even before you get to the point that you're making this wonderful plan and making assumptions, you have to have conversations. So for me, the bigger part of estate planning, I always emphasize there's wonderful accountants and lawyers and financial planners, insurance people. There's tons of great people out there, very experienced in their field, and that can give you the proper, you know, if they get to know you and meet your family and understand what you're trying to create, they can tell you this structure will work best for you. And um, so there's a wonderful people out there, and it's really finding that team of experts that you connect best with. But the beginning of it really is starts with you. It's what are you trying to accomplish? And when you go through this process, you should really include your family members in it so that they're kind of aware of what your expectations are. Um, and if, you know, when it comes to business, if you find maybe that's something your family doesn't look to carry on, it will change how you set your goals. Because then perhaps rather than thinking it's something that you'll leave for your children, maybe it's something that you build up for a certain period of time and you sell and you allow the wealth to pass on to your children and they can then grow it or snowball it in whatever way works best for them. So for me, estate planning at the heart is about you and really just having your voice heard about what you want to happen because we all work so hard. Like we get caught up in this day-to-day hustle and bustle of building our businesses and it's the fun stuff, right? I mean, we're growing, we're building, we're looking for opportunities and I love that stuff too. 
So it's easy to overlook, you know, who's thinking about when you're not going to be here. We don't want to go to that point, but really it's just about being smart. It's about having like a defined exit strategy, but for life. So estate planning for me is really, it's, it comes from within. It comes from understanding what impact you want to have and what legacy you want to leave behind. Mm -hmm. And then it starts with conversations around the people that are close to you. Mm -hmm. And then taking that information, once you've kind of taken it as a family, then going out to the experts. And I think often we do it backwards. Mm -hmm. We think, oh, this is something I just have to do. So, you know, you drag yourself out, you go see maybe your lawyer or whoever, and you hope that they'll give you the answer because you're mm-hmm. thinking, oh, you're the expert. Why don't you just tell me what everybody does? Right. You know, okay, you want me to sign this? I'll sign this. And I know because our family did that initially. So we signed these wills and then I got home and I was reading it and I thought, there's all these words in here. I had to call my lawyer. I told her, I don't even know, like, what is my issue? I didn't know that was referring to my children. I was like, why do you call them issue? Why can't you just call them children? Mm-hmm. It would make it much easier to read. But often we, we hope that the experts will have the answer. And really it's kind of up to you. Um, so the team I'm working with now, I found what they did is they spent so much time just listening to our family, mm. asking questions, clarifying, are you sure this is what you want? Is this how you want it to look? You know. And then they dug deep into, um, my son's almost an adult now, but my brother's got younger children. So when it comes to your children, you know, things like that, who, who's going to care for them? Who's going to oversee whatever inheritance you leave for them? How will it be released to them? You know, all these sorts of things need to be addressed. And I, again, like I said, you really have to dig deep within yourself to identify. Um, you know, I know when I picked an executor the first time, I just picked someone. I was thinking, how hard can it be? Here's my mm-hmm. will. I need someone to like make sure that when I'm gone, they follow these instructions and my son gets taken care of and all these things happen. And then I realized that that is a huge responsibility to put on someone <laughs> because right. they basically are taking your entire estate filing your final tax return, making sure everything's done, clearing out all your debts. It's a big job um, and a big responsibility. And, you know, having someone who, you know, choosing a guardian for my son, again, that was a big thing. And at first I was like, oh, well, I'll just pick my brother. It sounds like a great idea. But then I realized, you know, these are things where you have to have a conversation with the people you're choosing. You should probably talk to them about, you know, if something happens to me, um, I'd like to ask you to be the guardian of my child. And this Mm -hmm. is how I would hope that he would be raised. And this is Mm -hmm. what I, you know, let people know, because the last thing you want is for people to be going through all of your instructions after you're gone. And I know Warren Buffett said this, I can't remember the quote he left, but basically he's like, you don't want to be having people read your will for the first time after you're gone, because it doesn't give them a chance to ask any questions. Mm. Um, And that's so true. So, you know, for me, a state and succession planning, this whole process, this whole exercise, although it might seem like a big legal accounting and financial planning thing, it's really at the heart of it. It's about you, your wishes, and how you plan to provide your for your family down the road. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So much good stuff in there. (laughs) And I, the thing that I keep hearing over and over is having the conversations Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. um, I love that. And I think, you know, even though it's something that's really hard to talk about, I think that if you can bring yourself to make these decisions that moving forward, at least for me anyway, it's there's so much of a sense of peace now, like moving forward in my day-to-day life, because I know that if anything, you know, knock on wood were to happen to me tomorrow or the next day or on a plane or on a business trip or whatever, that things will be handled as I wanted them to be and and that I'm not leaving a mess for my family. And so I think that that's something also important for people to think about that is while it might be hard on the onset to have these conversations and think about all of this stuff, that it's, um, you know, after you do it, you'll be so grateful that you did. 
I mean, it, yeah, I mean, I, and I would love to hear, you know, your perspective on that is that after you went through all of this, after you did all of this with your family, like, you know, how did you feel? Mm-hmm. What peace of mind did it give you? Like, you know, yep. curious about that. Yeah. Well, honestly, it felt like a, a huge burden was lifted, partly because right. I, I found the, initially the conversations were hard and they were awkward mm-hmm. and they were stalled. It's it's kind of weird trying to talk about these things. So for instance, as a family, it was sort of like having conversations with my dad about, you know, how do you feel if we put, position this business for a sale? And as a founder, he's like, what are you talking about? Why right. don't we do this? I've built, you know, right. worked my, my whole life to build this up. So it's those touching, like those types of conversations mm-hmm. that are hard and awkward to start. Yeah. But once we started having them, it's funny that now it's it's so much smoother, so much easier. Mm-hmm. We can, you know, we feel a lot more open towards it. So the first probably two, three meetings I had with my my whole family, my brother, mm-hmm. um, me, you know, my husband, my son, and my parents, it was, you know, no one really wanted to share a lot. Yeah. It was like, mm-hmm. okay, well, if something happens to us, let's just put this down. Like it was very kind of like point form. Let's just mm-hmm. jot this down. Mm-hmm. Um, and we didn't talk about emotions or feelings, you know, cause mm-hmm. that was just weird and awkward. And, and then, yeah. you know, we had to have those weird conversations like, um, you know, in this case, my brother's not active in the business. So, mm-hmm. you know, my, my question to my dad was, you know, so I've spent my 20 years working and supporting this business. And, you know, I know it's something you and mom have created, but, you know, let's talk about equal versus fair. So, you know, I know you have two children in your head, you're just going to leave everything 50, 50, but mm-hmm. when it comes to the business, I don't see how 50, 50 makes sense because my brother's unable to make decisions around it just because he's not actively involved. Mm-hmm. These, these conversations were really ha- hard to have. And then it's funny how after a little while now they just become natural. Like it's, it's right. so much easier to just talk about it. But what I've come to realize too, is that, so my son, now that he's 17 turning 18 and, and sort of almost coming into adulthood, number one, I'm, I'm kind of like, thank goodness, because now, you know, I don't have to worry so much about the things like guardianship and all that down the road, uh, because he'll be able to take care of himself. But part of it for me is just including him in discussions, you know? And I Mm -hmm. think when I first started talking to him about it, he was like, why are you telling me this? This is so (laughs) weird. I realized um, my husband and I, sometimes we travel together um, and he, you know, Mm -hmm. he'll stay back or he'll stay with my parents. And I realized if anything happened to the two of us, it's just him. And he should pretty much maybe know what he has, you know, how things should be dealt with. And so I always tell him, if anything happens to dad and I, while we're away, you need to go into the den. There's a box. It says important documents. <laughs> All oh you need to know God. is in this box. And so he's yeah. like, why would you even talk about that? Nothing's going to happen to you guys. And I always tell him, no, I, I mean, that's the plan. I will come back and everything will be fine. But should yeah. anything happen, at least what I've done is I've tried to put things all in one place. So mm-hmm. they're to find. Um, and so for my son, at least he'll know, you know, this is kind of where we keep our wills. This is kind of mm-hmm. where we keep our power of attorney. Mm-hmm. our list of our current list of all of our assets and what we owe with account numbers mm-hmm. and contacts plus mm-hmm. all of our main contacts for our experts. So this is, and he's met most of them already mm. uh, because we generally have included him in, in a lot of what we do in building a business. So, you know, for us, a lot of it too, when it, when it, you talk about estate planning and legacy, I think the other part of it that people sometimes forget about is I think the bigger part of it isn't what you're leaving behind in terms of like money or things, but I think it's the knowledge, the lessons learned and the resources that you leave behind. So for me, the bigger part of it is knowing that I'm leaving my son lessons on how to create wealth for himself, Mm -hmm. how to build a network and a team to support him in in doing that. And 
you know, how to find the resource that he needs to allow himself to achieve the success and wealth he wants to achieve on his own, regardless of what we leave for him. Because those are the things that I think will be more meaningful Mm -hmm. for him as well as more useful for him because you can leave someone a million bucks and if they don't know how to manage money or if they don't know how to invest Mm -hmm. it wisely, they can blow through that in a heartbeat that all the time Mm -hmm. with people win the lottery and suddenly they're broke again. (laughs) Yeah. Kind of that same concept. If you leave this amazing abundance of wealth, but you don't teach someone how to manage it and how to continue to grow it, that may not necessarily be the actual legacy you want to leave behind. So it's kind of mm-hmm. taking the time then to include your family members. So, you know, we've always brought our son along when he's available um, to meet with some of the people we meet with. And it's been really great to see him kind of grow and learn. Mm-hmm. And recently he spoke with me at a networking event. So it was his first time up in front of a stage. Oh, cool. uh, but I really asked him to just share from the perspective of a, a, like from his generation, Mm -hmm. what's meaningful to him, what financial habits he's kind of built up. So he shared his whole thing on his savings jar and all this (laughs) sort of stuff, but it was really neat to see his enthusiasm around it. And it kind of makes me feel good in knowing that at least he's beginning to build good habits around investing because uh, the other part of it too, is the earlier you get started, the better. And I'm so, uh, that, there's, that is the golden nugget right there, that legacy is not just about the wealth that you leave behind. It's about the knowledge and the conversations and the resources that you leave behind, just like you said, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think it is so cool that you are including your son in these conversations (laughs) and in this process all along. I mean, think about that. If something were to happen to you and your husband, I mean, obviously your son would be dealing with this enormous amount of grief first and foremost, Mm -hmm. but to know that he has been prepared for that moment and that he knows where all those documents are and he knows what comes next gives him such a leg up so that he can continue on with his life and be the man that you brought him up to be, Mm -hmm. which is just, that's incredible. I think it's so, so important for our listeners to hear that because I know in the back of their minds, some of our listeners are going to be thinking, well, I don't need to do this, at least not right now. Mm -hmm. Or some people might be thinking, well, when I save up a little bit more, Mm -hmm. or when I invest a little bit more, or when I build a little bit more wealth, then I'll do this. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, what would you say to that? Is there a threshold or is this valuable for everyone? So my answer to that would be, and I'll use an analogy, I think, which might work best, but you know, I would say you don't put together a disaster recovery plan in the Mm -hmm. middle of the disaster, Mm -hmm. but long before anything ever happens, when you can think clearly, when you're level-headed, when you have the time to seek out resources and solutions and opportunities, if you're trying to put together a plan in the middle of an ongoing disaster, when there's chaos, there's turmoil, there's emotion, you're not going to have a very good plan. And so that's kind of the best way I I can think of uh, to put it out there because the, the whole thing is we all have an expiry date and none of us know when that's going to be. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, the sooner you can prepare the better, because, you know, I know a lot of people think, well, I'm, I'm probably going to live until I'm 90 or, you know, I'm still young. I feel great. Um, and that's fantastic. But I have also lost family members very early. You know, mm-hmm. I lost two cousins, one in her thirties, one in her forties, mm-hmm. both of them to illness, but one was much more unexpected than the other. And they both left behind three children. Mm-hmm. So suddenly at a young age, these people that were so close to me that that meant the world to me, they were suddenly just gone. Yeah. Um, and it was very unexpected. You know, you don't plan for things like that. And that's the whole point of 
planning now. The sooner you can act, the better, because then, you know, you've got a leg up on whatever may happen. And I know too, um, this brings up another point. It's just in terms of even if you do get sick, you know, are you going to leave some instructions in terms of how you want to be cared for, for your family mm-hmm. so that they're not trying to figure it all out. So, mm-hmm. you know, the last thing you want to be stuck with is, you know, oh my gosh, my, something's happened. My, you know, this person's had a stroke, they're not able to communicate or, you know, whatever, they're on life support. What were their wishes? If they haven't told you, then you're kind of sitting there wondering, you know, did they want to be on life support for an extended Mm -hmm. time? Did they want me to pull the plug? And so suddenly you're left with this burden of making a decision on someone's health and wellness. And Mm -hmm. that's a scary place to be. I would hate to have to make any of those types of decisions. So, you know, those are things you can take that burden away from your family by just being clear about what you want. I mean, maybe you won't care because you'll be unconscious or you'll be gone, but it's going to affect the people that you actually care about. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you care enough about them, then it's kind of leave them instruction, leave them a guideline on what you want. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I can speak firsthand. You know, I, lo- I lost my dad about five years ago now, and we didn't have any of these conversations. I didn't know any of his wishes. And I was left at the tail end having to make that decision of whether to pull the plug or keep him mm-hmm. on life support of some sort. And it was incredibly hard. And, you know, when he passed, he had not made any, any sort of arrangements. He had a will. Thank goodness, but he had not made any funeral arrangements. And so it was very hard. And so I can speak from experience that when you don't have those conversations ahead of time, it just turns a bad situation even worse. Absolutely. I'm so sorry to hear about your dad, by the way. Thank you. Okay. Well, with that, shall we transition to the investing for good impact round? Sure. We can. I just want to ask one last question before we moved into the, to the last um, bit of the podcast. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to know two things. How old was your son when you started to bring him around folks for the estate planning? Mm -hmm. My Mm -hmm. eldest daughter is eight right now and I'm starting to talk with her about real estate investing and not just talk with her about it, but actually giving her the responsibility of monitoring the income and the expenses and all that. So I feel comfortable there. But with estate planning, I don't know, like when is a good age to, you know, start involving her in those kinds of conversations or even letting her know what to expect too, right? Like saying, hey, just so you know, like in the event anything happens to mommy and daddy, like here's what we've decided. And again, like going back to having those conversations, right? Like, how do you feel about that? Is that something you would want? Maybe it's not, maybe that's not what she would want. And we can mm-hmm. have the chance now to have that dialogue about it. So what would you recommend there? Um, so for, for us, my son was probably around 10. Like we've always included him from a very early age. I mean, he may not have fully understand, you know, some of these meetings that he sat in on, you know, he'd be mm-hmm. playing games or sitting in the corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've always talked to him about, you know, so we, we'd explain to him, we have a will. And if something happens to us, you will stay with so-and-so like just the okay. basics around, yeah. like, you know, if something happens, this is where you're going to go. This is who's going to watch over what you have. Okay. Um, and that's just so that if anything happens, he already has an awareness of, you know, right. he's not going to be all upside down about who he's living with and all this sort of stuff. And you're yeah. right. I mean, he didn't really have much to say about it when we brought yeah. it up. Although you're right. I mean, they may have concerns around, you know, who you're choosing as their guardian or maybe right. you know, they might have some sort of input that they want to give. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, when kids are young, they don't always fully understand what's going on, but they are absorbing it. And yeah. you know, when you mentioned your daughter being included in real estate, we've done the same with our son because we thought, you know what, just to expose him to it, 
he may not fully understand what it means, but at, mm-hmm. and now I see that now that he's older, all these years of bringing him around, um, showing him what we're doing, it really has paid off because mm-hmm. I can see that he thinks about it. He understands it. It's not unusual right. for him. Whereas right. for some of his peers, they're like, what do you mean? You know, your parents have extra houses or, you know, they don't, they don't always get it. Yeah. Um, and so for that, we've always brought him for meetings like that, you know, with our, uh, when he was probably around 50, it started high school. Mm. He had a bunch of money he had saved up over the years. Some of it we forced him to save, like when he was younger. And some of it's just that, you know, every time he gets birthday money or Christmas money, mm-hmm. we've encouraged him to set some aside. So he had this chunk of money. And I guess as a kid, you know, yeah, sometimes you have chunks of money and you think you're so rich because you're like, mm-hmm. wow, you know, I have a few thousand dollars. I'm loaded. So he thought he was pretty loaded. Um, and he saw us buying properties. So he was like, mom, I want to buy a property. Yeah. I'm going to go out and do this. And I was like, okay. He's like, what's your plan? And he's like, well, I have this money in the bank. And I, you know, I was like, I don't think that's enough. And he's like, no, I know. But he's like, I saw that you went to see your mortgage person. So I need to borrow some money. <laughs> so I, you know, I thought, okay, I can discourage him or I can actually take him. So we set an yeah. appointment and we actually took mm-hmm. him to meet our mortgage broker. Um, and mm-hmm. so being in high school, he didn't really have income. I mean, he had part-time jobs. He was doing some, you know, timekeeping at the the arena and stuff like that. So he had a little bit of money coming in, but nothing significant. So we brought him and it was so hard as a mom because I had to just sit there and be quiet and listen as he was explaining to the mortgage broker that he's got all this money in the bank now and he brought his (laughs) bank statement and he's like, he's just wondering he's going to buy a property. So what does he need to do to borrow money? Yeah, Uh, And it was great because when you have team members that kind of understand. So my mortgage broker kind of worked through it. He's like, okay, how much money do you earn? You know, my son's like, okay, I make like, you know, $50 a week or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. Um, And he worked through it. So, you know, he actually went through the process. He's like, okay, based on what you have and what you've saved, maybe you can buy a property for $80,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my son looks at me, he's like, can I buy a property for $80,000? And I was like, mm-hmm. not in anywhere around here. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm sure somewhere in the world, there might be be something in that price range. But mm-hmm. it was a big learning experience for him because he began mm-hmm. to realize, oh, you know, it's not like you can just get out there and do this and it's magically comes. There's mm-hmm. work involved. You have to save, you have to build capital, which is why now mm-hmm. he's been on this binge of like setting aside as much as he can so he can build that capital. And it's hard because as a parent, I want to just give him everything. Like yeah, I want right. to go out and help him buy that property. Yeah. And make mm-hmm. But I realized by doing that, I'm not giving him the gift of the sense of accomplishment on his own yeah. or the gift of learning how to do it and learning how to overcome the obstacles he faces. So I've kind of been letting him. And so to this day, he doesn't have a property yet, mm-hmm. uh, but he's working very hard to kind of get there. And now he's been seeing us do some private lending. So he's got, he's like, hmm, he's like, could you be my private lender? Um, mm-hmm. And he's like, mm-hmm. I'll pay more and all this sort of stuff. So <laughs> it's kind of cool to see him working through it. Mm-hmm. Um, He's but learning the art of negotiation. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And he's becoming very good at it. So, you know, as, as now that he's an adult, we're kind of talking as well about, you also don't have to wait until you pass away to pass yeah. on your wealth. You know, these are yeah. things you can do today. You know, if there's something that's meaningful to you or somewhere you want to contribute, you can put your money towards that today. And this is something I've talked with my parents about for a long time. My mom has always been big on, I want to give you what I can give you today. I'm not going to mm-hmm. hoard it and then wait till I'm gone and then just leave it for you. If there's something right. that you need help with. Mm-hmm. Um, and for my parents, that was for my brother and I, they paid for our educations, you know? So mm-hmm. it's things like that where there is um, an aspect of giving today, which can be more mm-hmm. meaningful and more helpful to people as well. So these are things to think about, you know, when you're sitting down with yourself and kind of really ha- going through these hard questions and then mm-hmm. beginning to sit with your family, you can think about 
uh, these kind of things and decide, you know, what are you growing and what are you going to leave behind later? What can you do today to make it a difference and have an impact? Mm-hmm. Um, and all important things. But again, like I think <laughs> it's the lessons, it's the things that you leave behind for the next generation that will propel them to success. So it's taking the time to talk to them, you know, having the patience to, if they've got questions and they want to learn, don't just kind of sweep them. A lot of parents are just like, oh, it's, you know, you don't need to know that now. You'll learn that right. later. But mm-hmm. take the time to include them if they want to come. Mm-hmm. Sure, it might take a few hours out of your day. If they want to go learn something, you might have to take them. But I think that investment in teaching them uh, mm-hmm. will probably pay off much more than anything you could leave for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it's great to hear that other people, you know, that you're including your daughter as well um, mm-hmm. and involving her in actually participating and, and understanding the business and, and how it works and the in and out of money and all that sort of stuff. So really yeah. cool. Yeah, it's it was so fun. Um, her birthday was last week, and um, I got like this Peppa Pig house, and was like that she has that she plays with, and we <laughs> pretended that that's the house, and this is an actual you know house. I'm basing it on an actual single family home that we own, and I got like a little little Lego piece, and you know said this is Anne, who's actually the name of our renter, and we ran through all the pieces. How much does she pay? Why does she want to live there? What are you doing to, you know, make the place better? Why would she want to live there? The expenses mm-hmm. versus the income, and all of that. Um, and she got it. And I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I cannot wait for the day that she's, you know, in her teens and can like, you know, help other people understand and maybe even her peers or maybe even some adults like understand, you know, investing in what it means and what it could mean for them in their lives. So it's, uh, <laughs> yes, it means so much for me. So yeah, thank you for that. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's move into the investing for good impact round. Sure. So uh, first question is around investing in yourself. So what is one way that your investments are helping you to live a better life? Um, I think when it comes to the wealth I've created and, and the investments that we have today, what it's given me really is flexibility and freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, not only to do the things that we love doing. So, you know, as a family, we love to travel, we play sports, so we invest a lot of time and money and, and kind of paying for leagues and all that sort of stuff. But I think it's also uh, allowed me to spend quality time with my family. So because mm-hmm. of the freedom I've got, my son, you know, in high school, for instance, he's played football uh, every year. And so I've never had to miss a game. Because mm-hmm. I can, you know, even though some of the games are in the middle of the day, I have the freedom to be able to just pick up and go yeah. and schedule my day around being there for him during the times that are important for him. Mm-hmm. Um, same with my parents. I just mm-hmm. sandwich generation. It gives me the freedom and flexibility to support my parents as they're aging. And I'm finding now more than ever, they need a little bit more help. So it gives me that time, the time freedom, mm-hmm. which is really very, very meaningful to me. So I've, that's been a real blessing. Yeah. And that's all we have. I mean, time is like our most precious resource. And when you can find a way to create more of it in your life is so powerful to allow you to do the things that, you know, we're meant to do here. So I love that. That's everything for us and, you know, why we do all of the investments that we do and why we do um, everything. So I love that. Okay. Second question is around investing in others. So what is one investment strategy or or hack that you might be able to share. It could be around the succession planning, estate planning that, you know, will help someone further themselves. It could be in investing or just personally as well. Mm -hmm. So I think when it comes to that, I would suggest, and I don't know that I'd call it a hack, but I would say, so in my family, we do family wealth creation meetings. So surround yourself with a group of people that can inspire and uplift you, Mm -hmm. um, but also hold you accountable to the goals that you set for yourself. So, you know, the one thing I would suggest for anyone trying to get started is, it can be a lonely road, 
But if you surround yourself with people that will help get you to where you need to be, that mm -hmm. will push you beyond your own limiting beliefs, mm -hmm. then I think that's a great way to be. And we've done it as a family just by getting together uh, on a regular basis. Sometimes it's just my immediate family, but we've also mm -hmm. had my extended family, like my cousins, mm -hmm. uh, my aunts, my uncles sit in. And we really just sit around a table. We mm -hmm. get some wine and cheese. We share um, goals. Mm -hmm. Uh, kind of aspirations where we're going and we share struggles and challenges. And mm -hmm. then we just try to help support each other, connect each other with resources if necessary. Or if someone's already doing that, we try to kind of um, give a pathway or, or a framework on how to achieve that. And I think having a group that's there to lift you up makes a big difference. I think there's an mm -hmm. African proverb. It's if you want to go fast, go alone. Uh, mm -hmm. But if you want to go far, go together. So, you know, my mm -hmm. thing is, I think it's just having a community and whether that mm -hmm. be a mastermind group, whether that means finding a mentor, whether you do something like us and just have, you know, if you've got a family open to it, creating an environment that's safe to share and a place where you feel that you can kind of let yourself be pushed to the limit. So I would recommend that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's everything. When I first got into real estate investing, it was falling headfirst into bigger pockets, which is a community of other people who are in real estate investing and then just started networking like crazy. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, certainly learned so much in those early days by networking and surrounding myself with other people who are, um, you know, doing similar things. So love that. Um, okay. Last question is investing in the world. So what is one way that your investments are helping to make the world a better place? So I guess I would take that one and I would say like one of the things that I think that I'm doing to help make the world a better place would be just in sharing sharing the lessons learned and experiences that I've had. And I think that's a yeah. big part of why I wrote the book. You mm -hmm. know, a lot of people ask, is there something behind it? Is there some financial motive? And there isn't really because there's nothing else I have to offer other than the book itself. Yeah. Um, but really the goal with that was to share experiences and lessons learned so that people don't make the same mistakes that we made in our family by waiting a little too long and, and mm -hmm. to really just provide a framework. So mm -hmm. for me, that's kind of, that was a way for me that I felt I could leave a legacy and it, it'll hopefully be able to help other families. And, and from there, if it creates a ripple effect and they can pay it forward by sharing that message with others, right. then I think that's kind of one way I was hoping to make a difference. Mm -hmm. Love that. <laughs> Love and it. It is all for everyone who's listening. There's so much good information in the book, and Leslie tells such great stories. So you're going <laughs> to love it. So, Leslie, tell our listeners if they wanted to follow up and get their own copy of your book, where's the best place to go? Uh, so they can head over to my website. It's www.lesliequincey.com. Um, and on my website, I have links to all the online retailers. So they're all in one place and you can kind of choose where you prefer to shop, but it's available on amazon.com and .ca, um, Barnes and Noble, Chapters Indigo. So it's available in a few different uh, places. Um, and you can purchase it as a paperback or there's an e-copy as well. So it just depends on your choice or your preference in terms of how you like to read. Um, but Perfect. yeah, that's, that's yeah. where you can find it. Well, lesliequincy.com. So we'll definitely have a link to that in the show notes for all our listeners so they can get a copy of your book. Leslie Quincy, author of Legacy, A Guide to Successfully Transferring Wealth from One Generation to the next. Leslie, thank you so much for this rich and meaningful conversation with us so that we can start to have those conversations with our families and hopefully we'll inspire our listeners to do the same. Perfect. Thank you again for having me on today, guys. I really appreciate it. 
You've been listening to Investing for Good, the number one podcast for people like you who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design, and impact the world around them. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com slash podcast. And be sure to join the Investing for Good Facebook community. And don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations every week. Until next time, keep investing for good.